After weeks of back and forth, the Los Angeles Dodgers invite the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence to their Pride Night. The decision has sparked passionate voices on both sides of the debate. The Dodgers aren't the heroes here, the sisters are. According to USA Today and the legacy media, men dressed as nuns displaying their bigotry and hatred toward Catholics, and more importantly toward Christianity as a whole, are somehow heroic. That's why when the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence took the field this weekend during a pride celebration at Dodger Stadium to an almost empty stadium, we can celebrate the fact that justice was served. How, you might ask, well, I'm glad you did. The Sisters are a group of cross-dressing men that wear nun outfits to mock Catholics and their historic stance against homosexuality. They use drag shows with Christian imagery in order to publicly mock Christians and make political statements about sex, gender, and morality. They've attended Catholic masses in mass all over the U.S. to selfishly turn those church services into protest. They stage mock exorcisms and did so recently in San Francisco to welcome the Pope. When Catholics complained about the Man Sisters, the Man Sisters turned around and accused them of noticing and of course being hateful. Can somebody please get those men a mirror because we all know that those supposed sisters are the real hate group. Oh, but of course, let me not forget the satirical performance of the crucifixion of Jesus complete with a gay man using the cross to stage his they them pole dancing routine. In every sense, this group is a pagan sex religion dedicated to hate, and yet the Dodgers thought it would be a good idea to celebrate them as humanitarians. In a world obsessed with social justice, how can the Dodgers celebrate a group appropriating Catholic culture, which I thought was a microaggression, but more than that, do so knowing that they would dare not mock Muslims publicly? If the sisters ever get around to doing so, uh, let's just say I won't hold my breath. It takes a broken upside down world to celebrate the most disgusting acts a culture can produce. When the Dodgers go out of their way to uninvite the sisters of perpetual indulgence, then reinvite them to double down on their depravity, it's important to ask why. Some will say these people are just LGBTQ activists and love is supposed to win, right? Why the hate? I can tell you why. Because everything these men stand for or degrade themselves for deserves to be hated because it is evil. Even their supposed acts of benevolence is not humanitarian because it's built upon hate. We have little issue saying we hate David Duke. Why? Because we know deep down that that man is not really that easy to separate from his deeply held core beliefs. Obviously, that's an extreme example, but you need to know that these men that hate good and love evil should also be noticed. So if you ask, can a Christian hate and really be a Christian? I say this, I love the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence more than the affirming pastor does, and even more than the welcoming pastor that knows that what they're doing is wrong, but never wishes to tell them about it. They're evil and unbiblical, and everything they do is built upon an agenda that is created to destroy rather than build. But there's good news. When the shadows loom large over society, all the dark can't stop the light from getting through. That's why Christians and people of conscience must stand up. And as we do, we are watching great things happen. 
When people stand against the presence of religious hate as they did at Dodger Stadium, our world is better. When Joe Rogan challenges uh, at the experimental vaccine apologist Peter Hotez to a debate against RFK Jr. sparks fly, but also the best ideas win. And when Focus on the Family takes a firm stand against abortion in a new ad campaign, lives are saved. We'll talk about that and more today on Indie Thinker. Welcome to the show. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and to check out today's show sponsor. Our friends over at Anchor can help you with all of your business needs. If you've ever been hiring for a very important position in your organization, and when you look at somebody on their resume, but then finally sit down for the interview and ask them what are some of the qualifications that they believe make them best suited for this job. If you've ever had that candidate stand up and then break out into a breakdancing routine, then you know that it is really, truly hard to find a well-rounded, good candidate. But our friends over at Anchor can help you do that and so much more because they've got staffing solutions, accounting solutions, bookkeeping solutions, and lots of business administration solutions that can help your business go to the next level. But in order to see everything that they can do for you, you got to go over to Anchor and you got to get their name right. That's A-N-C-U-R dot B-I-Z. If you need help getting your finances or getting your business house in order, please go check them out because they can put legs underneath your vision. And when you do so, let them know that IndieThinker sent you. I hope you all had a wonderful time celebrating fathers this past weekend, those men who provide and protect and who are kind of the last bastion of defense against a world that wants to prey upon children. Now, if the father is removed, then those who protect those kids will will be that much more susceptible. So it's all that much more important that we pay attention to Father's Day and really honor those fathers in our lives, whether that be a, uh, a physical, biological father or even a spiritual father. So again, hope you enjoyed your Father's Day celebration. I know I did. I got brand new socks with my children's face on them, so I couldn't be couldn't be happier. Um, you can put down in the comment section below what you got for Father's Day. would love to hear that. Now, I want to start the show as I did at the beginning of our monologue here, kind of going deeper into the story about what just took place at Dodger Stadium, because I spend a lot of time on the show talking about the things that are going wrong in the culture. And if we're not careful, we can get a little bit depressed by that. I hear from a lot of people that they hear what's going on in the news or they hear what's going on in conservative media and they take away from it a bunch of information, but they don't really take away anything that can help them on a regular basis. Now, hopefully, obviously, I want to try to provide you with some practical tools today that will help you engage in the culture war, help you maybe see some blind spots that are that are existing in your present worldview that that you need to address, maybe give you a perspective, maybe even help you learn how to fight uh, in the culture war in an effective way, uh, maybe give you permission even to talk about things that we as Christians don't often address because we're so afraid of being misperceived. I hope to do that and more, but but I also just really, as I give this information, I want this to be a little bit of a time of celebration because we can't be so busy fighting that we don't take time to stop and celebrate some of the victories that we have been seeing in the culture war, which as I hope to try to portray today is all that much more important 
important that we engage in and and win. But there was a victory that took place this past weekend as the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence took the stage, as it were, but really the, the field, to be celebrated for their humanitarianism. So what ended up happening was the vast majority of people at the time these supposed sisters were celebrated were outside protesting while the men dressed as nuns inside the ballpark of Dodger Stadium were welcomed to about maybe 50, maybe 100 people in a mostly empty empty stadium. So USA Today had this to say about the event. Hundreds of Catholics and Christians joined in a prayer procession in parking lot 13, led by the Catholics for Catholics. The procession began at 3 p.m., just over four hours before the first pitch. A Jewish rabbi and a former Los Angeles County Sheriff, Alex Villanueva, were among some of the speakers who took the stage. Protesters also gathered around the stadium with anti-LGBTQ signs to show people driving by or entering the ballpark. Now, by anti LGBTQ, what they mean is they mean Christian or not anti-Christian signs. So not really anti-LGBTQ, but just not supporting them. Because of course, if you don't support them and bow the knee, then you are a bigot. The article goes on and says this, the Dodgers decision to disinvite the sisters upset Long Beach, California resident Deborah Madsen so much Madsen decided to send the organization a strongly worded letter. Madsen wasn't pleased with the Dodgers decision and didn't hear back from them, but was happy the sisters were reinvited. She said this, quote, they shouldn't bend to pressure from people in out of state places. Madsen said, discussing what the letter included, quote, when I found out that Clayton Kershaw was also not in favor, then that made me more incensed. Madsen, like other fans, emphasized that the group is misunderstood, which can be avoided through people researching what the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence actually do. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence are an anti-Catholic hate group, and they do things like this. If you're listening, not watching, you can see a man that is bearded and also wearing a woman's top and low-cut jean shorts pole dancing upon the effigy of a crucified savior, a man pretending to be Jesus on a cross. This individual is pole dancing on that cross, doing splits and all kinds of other disgusting things. Now, I might mention as we're watching this on the screen that um, what this does more than anything is yes, it proves that the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence are an absolutely anti-Catholic, anti-Christian hate group, but also that men are really, really lame impressions of women, that men who wish to cosplay womanhood and put on the character of womanhood and mock womanhood actually aren't that convincing. Because as you watch this man pretending to be a woman, you really get the sensation that Boy, this is an awkward rendition of a woman dancing. Women are better dancers than men. Let's just face it. So at the end of the day, we, we also get an actual pole on the side of the cross here. As this man moves away from dancing and twerking all over Jesus, we get him dancing on the pole here. So are these sisters of perpetual indulgence just misunderstood? They're really just this great loving group that we need to celebrate in society, or is this yet another indication that the Overton window has moved, that that which is socially acceptable is consistently moving leftward in our present day society and so far left that now we've moved far beyond saying what a person does in the privacy of their own bedroom as a consenting adult is their own business, far beyond that to now, 
celebrating debauchery, disgustingness, and even hate in the city streets of most of modern American blue cities. So suffice to say, I'll let you answer that question for yourself, but I think it is obvious that, yes, the Overton window has moved. Social acceptability on these issues have, have moved because now we are celebrating a hate group. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I'd love for them to take on the degradation of Islam and see how one society deals with it, but much less the, uh, or more importantly, the, the Muslim community deals with that. And all of this just shows us a couple of things. Maybe we're stumbling upon the good the more our culture shifts left because, as I stated at the beginning of the show, that all of the darkness in society can't stop the light from getting through because as our culture shifts further and further left, we are seeing a shift in society right now. And The Hill brings this to us. They said in a recent Gallup survey released Thursday, it showed that 38% of respondents said that they are conservative or very conservative on social issues. Now, the reason that's important is this, is that's an increase from 33% who said so last year. The percentage who now say they are liberal or very liberal on these issues dropped from 33% last year to 29%. So you can see a pretty significant drop. Gallup had not found as many identifying as social conservatives since 2012, which it said was a time when respondents consistently identified more as conservative than liberal on pretty much every social issue. The percentage of Republicans who now say they are socially conservative rose significantly in the past two years, from 60% to 74%. Pollsters also noted increase in the percentage across most age groups. The group of 30 to 49 saw the biggest rise, jumping 13 points from 22% in 2021 to 35% in 2023. The percentage of those aged 50 to 64 who said they are socially conservative increased 11 points in that time, from 35% to 46%, while the percentage of people 18 to 29 rose 6 points from 24% to 30%. So as you can tell, a precipitous increase in social conservatism is taking place right now in the present. Well, how did that happen as much as the left is in control of most of our major institutions, or at least most people who lean left? The way that that happened is that Christians and other conservatives, and even some of you guys, I'll give you a little bit of credit, you libertarians out there, started fighting back a little bit. And I don't mean physically. You started fighting back ideologically. You started calling grooming what it is, grooming. And no, not even sexual grooming, but intellectual grooming. When you want to try to push Drag Queen Story Hour in front of our kids, we understand what that is. Maybe it is sexual grooming. I'm open to that more than many on the left, but I want to be fair and just say, maybe it isn't. Maybe these good, quote unquote, good natured people, really all they want to do is try to buck social convention and try to institute their own new form of morality. Well, society has had enough of it. And we're sick and tired of people like the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence coming around, shoving their hate and their bigotry in our face and their redefinition of what a man actually looks like. And, and then whenever anybody notices those people coming back and saying, well, you're hateful for noticing the fact that I am trying to destroy your religion and pee all over it. 
Forget that nonsense. Right now, there are people who are rising up in the midst of this and saying, we're done. We realize that maybe we don't even identify as a Christian, or maybe we haven't read the Bible in forever, but we see what social leftism and progressivism is doing in society, and we're done here. And as a result, conservatism is on the rise. And so what happened at Dodger Stadium is another indication that we can change the culture. Yes, I want to win hearts and minds through acts of benevolence and acts of kindness and even listening to other people who disagree with me. Yes, I want to win hearts and minds. But one of the most effective ways to do that is by standing up for the things that really matter and letting your voice be heard as it was at Dodger Stadium. Because in the meantime, your influence can create change slowly through the winning of hearts and minds, but you also need to understand your role in standing up for truth in society so that we are not consistently allowing children to be mutilated, babies to be murdered in the womb. Our voice can stand up on these issues, and in the meantime, while we're winning the culture war, we can also institute policies that can actually make a difference that will defend people and defend lives, defend their emotional health. And if you truly care about people, if you really love them, you will take a stand on these issues and you will let your voice be heard. If you really love people, you will run the risk of being misunderstood by those in the LGBTQ community. And you will run the risk of being called names because you understand that whether or not people understand what you are doing and whether or not people, because you understand that whether or not people comprehend what you're actually trying to do or whether or not they view it as benevolent, as long as you know in your heart that your motives are pure and your goal be just, then continue to shine the light. We need more people with the courage to do so because Dodger Stadium will now think twice before they do what they just did. And we need to think about that too in a much broader context with what took place around the nation with COVID because just recently Joe Rogan had RFK Jr. on his show. Now, I was scrolling through Twitter the other day and that's how I stumbled upon this story. Actually, when I saw that Joe Rogan was tweeting out at a guy named Peter Hotez, I didn't even know that he was on the show in the past, but apparently he was a guest of Rogan in the past and they had a little friendly debate about COVID vaccines and that kind of thing and taking care of your body. But the tweet went something like this. Joe Rogan is offering $100,000 for Peter Hotez to debate RFK Jr. And now there's been a back and forth online between Hotez and Joe Rogan consistently basically sounding like this. Joe Rogan saying, you're not answering whether or not you will debate. You're not committing to anything. And we want to hear from you. If you really do care about this issue and you want the truth to be heard, then come let your voice be heard on my show, which has a bigger reach than any other mainstream platform. So come on my show, debate RFK Jr. And of course, you can probably guess what has taken place after that. Hotez has been ducking and dodging and doing his best to try to make Joe Rogan look like a moral reprobate simply so that he doesn't have to have the pressure of answering for some of his some of his ideas. Now, just a little bit of background of Peter Hotez, just for the sake of you guys who wonder why this even matters. So Peter Hotez was uh, trotted out on multiple different news networks during COVID, and he is a vaccinologist and was an apologist for the vaccine and even an apologist for why children should be vaccinated. And so that's why Joe had him on his show in the past. By the way, I'll give you a little bit of what that sounded like right here. I'm not as cautious about my diet as I 
should be I'm a junk foodaholic, uh, actually. Well, that seems like a terrible thing for your health. It, it is a terrible thing for my health and something my wife is uh, working on. But that seems basis. ridiculous for someone who works with health. Yeah, yeah. What's Somet- going on with you, man? Sometimes, man, I just don't Sometimes. get it right. <laughs> How often? What? How often? How often do I steal a bag of chips or something like that? How often like do you that? eat garbage? Uh, I don't day? know. No, no, hopefully not every day. But, you know, hopefully so, not every day. Uh, maybe a couple of times a week. Oh, know. That's what with Rachel, my uh, my daughter with autism. That's like our thing is to go to the uh, it's called the burger joint or to um, Shake Shack to get mm-hmm. a to get a cheeseburger. We'll sneak, sneak some fries. So, mm. so you live in large. We call it like that mouth pleasure so much. You're willing to sacrifice a little bit. Of I health. am. Yeah. I uh, you know I you know I I can I have to concede that's the case. Well, there's, I mean, I don't have to tell you, but there's a, a large body of data that connects poor diet to a host of diseases. Mm-hmm. That seems like a t- crazy decision for a guy in your line of work. There you go. Sometimes the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes the, it's not all brain. It's, uh, it, it's something else. So maybe this is why Hotez is very reluctant to face off with RFK Jr. on Joe Rogan's show. Now, I'll be the first to admit, RFK Jr., I hope he he dethrones Joe Biden. But he is a little bit of a kook himself. He's got some pretty radical ideas. But I'll also give it to him. His book about the real Anthony Fauci was actually really insightful and had some objectively true stuff in it about the way in which hospitals and the CDC and and other places colluded together to handle COVID in the way and the way in which they did it was not that scientific at the end of the day. So RFK Jr. had some really important and insightful things to say about it. And at least we should hear about it. But we have Peter Hotez giving us his original tweet that started this firestorm and Joe Rogan's challenge. And I want you to see it here. So this is what he originally tweeted out to kind of get Joe Rogan in the position to challenge him to a debate. This is what Hotez said. Spotify has stopped even sort of trying to stem Joe Rogan's vaccine misinformation. And from the online attacks I'm receiving after this absurd podcast, it's clear many actually believe this nonsense. Now, the reason I wanted to save that to the very end is just say this. If you actually care about the nonsense being refuted, then stand up for yourself and debate. Now, I get it. You might say, well, Peter Hotez really isn't a debater. That's not really what he's good at. He's a doctor. Fine. Joe Rogan, even in his his original kind of challenge to Hotez, said, find the person who is willing to debate. Find the person who is willing to stand up for the this side of the debate about the endless, you know, experimental vaccinations being given to people and the suppression of all those who wish to suggest that maybe we should have a little bit more research before we start shoving experimental vaccines in people's bodies. Um, you know, there, there's been this conversation of like, OK, so if you want to bring out the best of the best, you bring them out and we'll still give you the hundred thousand dollars. But let's debate this idea. So if Hotez really wanted to put his money where his mouth is, like literally, he could stand up for his ideas and go on the show. Now, I want to reiterate something before I get kind of to the final point of, of all of this, which is just simply this, that the people who originally voiced concern over the speed at which we were giving people this vaccine, the ways in which we were giving it to people who were ultimately healthy and may not necessarily need a vaccine to protect them from the more deadly effects of COVID. 
I'll be the first to admit that I that I I still wonder about this, but it seems to be that those who were kind of older, elderly people, they seem to be the ones who the vaccine really should have been focused on, whereas much more younger, healthy people really had nothing to fear from COVID. That seems to be objectively true. And frankly, we're two years past this thing, and we're seeing all sorts of repercussions, including the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, being pulled from the shelves in America, finally. And yet we're still talking about masking. We're still talking about giving the vaccine to small children who objectively, 100% did not need the COVID shot. Suffice to say, in the early days when people were voicing some of this concern, they were, they were threatened. They were censored. They were kicked off platforms. They were given information labels, which I'll probably still get one on this uh, segment here, um, uh, saying, you know, be careful to become informed about COVID. All these people that were informing us, they themselves weren't informed and still consistently want to try to come off as the expert class giving and delivering objective information. But we all know that they're just human. We're just human. And we can be all be honest about this. And so the way to really parse ideas in a society is not just to listen to the supposed expert class. And I guess that's the point at the end of the day, is that the way to really f suss out ideas in a society is to do exactly what Joe Rogan is doing. And what Joe Rogan shows us is that there is a changing of the guard. There is a changing of the way we are going to process information in society. We are no longer going to let the media do our thinking for us. But now we want open dialogue. We want free discourse. We want free thinking. And we want people to come from different perspectives and give that information to us. And we want to be able to suss out the, the truth for ourselves. We're living in a new world. Joe Rogan shows us this. This is why podcasts are all the rage these days. And more and more people are leaving the mainstream legacy media to get their information from podcasters. Because open debate is the way that we think now. It is the way that we move around censorship and the extortion to do what the experts tell us who might have a financial incentive with big pharma. This is the way things have to work now. And our world is better for it too. Not only is our world better when no one shows up to Dodger Stadium to honor the sisters of perpetual indulgence who don't deserve honor, but our world is better too when we have the free discourse, the free ability to discuss ideas without the fears of censorship. Censorship and extortion no longer work and we won't allow it. We want to live in a society where the best ideas win and not just the ideas that certain people with an agenda want to win. So I think what Joe Rogan is doing here is, is just another indication that when we take a stand, when we really lift our voice, we can make a difference in society. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in a society where the best ideas win. And with that being said, some of the best ideas can be found not in modernity, but also in the past in a wonderful little book. So let's jump into Bible study with Democrats. Oh, God of pronouns. Some of you will know right off when I say the name Phil Vischer that I'm talking about the guy that created VeggieTales and I believe was the voice of the tomato on that vegetable show. Uh, you'll know who he is right off, and maybe you'll also know that he has a podcast called The Holy Post, which is a bastion of progressive Christian 
thought in almost every way you can think of. And that was certainly what took place when he made some comments on his holy post about the overturning of Roe v. Wade before it was overturned. Prior to Donald Trump being elected, I think around 2016, the Holy Post made a video about Roe v. Wade and how overturning it really wouldn't make that much of a difference. So here's Phil Vischer giving us his very bad take on abortion. I was in high school in the early 1980s when evangelical Christians first started focusing on abortion. And the one thing we all agreed on was that overturning Roe versus Wade was the key to reducing abortion in America. Forty years later, we still haven't overturned Roe. Today, some pro-life evangelical Christians are asking whether this is still the right focus of so much of our attention. Is overturning Roe the key to reducing abortion? Our friend David French made an argument that really got us thinking. And when my podcast co-host, Sky Jatani, echoed that argument on Twitter, people said, hey, you should make a video about that. So we did. Here's my buddy Sky trying to answer the question, is overturning Roe versus Wade the key to reducing abortion in America? And if it isn't, what is? It's okay if you disagree, but it's worth having the conversation. Okay, here it is. For almost 50 years, Christians have been told that who you support for president will either save or sacrifice the lives of unborn babies. This has led a lot of pro-life Christians to become single-issue voters, willing to overlook everything else about a candidate as long as they're against abortion. When a candidate's bad character or unchristian policies are brought up, the response is often, yeah, but abortion. Well, I am pleased to announce that Phil Vischer could not have been more wrong. And this comes to us from The Daily Citizen, quote, according to the hashtag WeCount project funded by the Society for Family Planning, a Denver-based pro-abortion nonprofit. By the way, I will never get over the fact that people who plan families ironically terminate babies. But the article goes on to say this, there were 10,570 fewer abortions in the U.S. in July and August following the overturning of Roe v. Wade. So two months after Roe v. Wade was overturned, there were more than 10,000 babies that were saved following the overturning of Roe v. Wade. So thankfully, Phil Vischer was wrong about the overturning of Roe v. Wade, much like he has been everything that he's said on his show since. Now, but think about that. Let this set in. I specifically chose an older article that was just about the first two months after Roe was overturned so that the gravity of what just took place in our society could really sit in. Over 10,000 babies were saved from abortion clinics since the overturning of Roe v. Wade. So much for saying the culture wars don't matter. Now, by and large, Christians have sat on the fence on this issue and even said things like this. Well, I'm pro-choice, you know, because rape, incest and all that stuff, but I'm not pro-abortion. As if you could actually be pro-choice, but not pro-abortion. Or more importantly, many Christians sit over far on the right on this issue and believe that abortion is bad, but are closed-mouthed about it. It is because we made it socially acceptable to stand up for the lives, for the lives of the unborn that Roe v. Wade was even overturned in the first place. See, things in society are changing because people are taking a stand and our world is better for it. Which, case in point, this is what Focus on the Family just recently did in a campaign that, I'll say, pokes fun at the euphemism of calling a baby a fetus in the womb because it is totally ridiculous, the euphemisms we use to try to make abortion more tolerable. But thankfully... Focus on the family has 
has and has been in the fight for a long time and is standing up for the unborn. So I want you to see this new ad campaign, It's a Baby, for yourself. Check it out. Well? It's positive. We're having a fetus. We're having a fetus. We're having a fetus. <laughs> and here we are. Would you look at that? Hi, fetus. Hey, got names yet? For the fetus? We've got a few we like. Focus on the family. Would like to remind you that no matter where you are on your pregnancy journey... It's almost here. Keep pushing. Your fetus is doing great. Call it what you want. But the truth does not change. You want to feel the fetus care? Um... It's a baby. It's still a baby. By the way, that film was made by somebody that I know, great guy Phil Cook and his media team. And I hope you remember that film. Every single time somebody tries to use a euphemism like a fetus with you or a clump of cells and that you insist on them understanding that that clump of cells, that fetus inside of their body is a baby. And it is ridiculous for us to accept the presuppositions of the left in our everyday lives. And, And I think this film does a great job of exposing the fact that the culture really does influence and shape the way we think on these issues. And especially if you're a Christian, we cannot afford to let that happen. Because on the other flip side of this thing, the the opposition, those who do not stand for real values and morality in society, they can't afford not to stand for what is right if we don't let them. As a result of boycotts, Target has lost $10 billion, probably even more than that as of late because they're hemorrhaging money left and right. Bud Light has lost $15 billion. Starbucks nationwide pulled all of their pride decorations during the month of June. Starbucks, guys, one of the most woke companies on the planet, has succumbed to some of what is happening in the culture because Christians are willing to stand. Now listen, we've won some great victories as a result. The overturning of Roe v. Wade needs to be celebrated consistently, and we need to remember that what happened there can consistently happen in other areas, and lives can be saved as a result of it. But the battle isn't over. Just the other day, James Lindsay posted this about Planned Parenthood and said that Planned Parenthood is pivoting from abortions as their main source of revenue and going to hormone blockers and the distribution of cross-sex hormones, which, yes, if you're wondering, is also being given to minors. So you see, the battle isn't over. We've just got another battlefront yet ahead because Planned Parenthood is starting to move away from abortion because we've taken that option away from them. And now they're moving into giving cross-sex hormones to people who come in to, again, a planned parenthood. How do you plan parenthood when you are basically butchering the very hormones and body parts that create children? Of course, we see yet again the glaring hypocrisy of Planned Parenthood and the little shop of, well, big shop of horrors that it actually is. It's not interested in planning anyone's parenthood. It's interested in making money off of your body. And we have to win. So I have one question for you. We are winning as conservatives. We are winning as Christians. And the world is better for it. So which side of history do you want to be on? 
Do you want to be on the bleeding heart side of history and show how empathetic you are or sympathetic? Or would you rather win souls and save lives? As for me, I'm going to be on the latter part, the right side of that, and I hope you make the right decision too. We are winning, and we need your help. So don't get battle-weary. Stay in the fight. Stand for truth. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And most importantly, go with God.